I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Happy Mama Movement podcast. I'm Amy Taylor-Kabaz. I would like to start by acknowledging the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation on which this podcast is recorded as the traditional custodians of this land and pay my respects to the Elders past, present and emerging. And as this podcast is dedicated to the wisdom and knowledge of motherhood, I would like to acknowledge the mothers of this land, the Elders, their wisdom, their knowing, and my own Elders and teachers. Welcome back, Mummers. Recently, I was watching a documentary on Netflix called Feminists, What Were They Thinking? And it was the reflection of the power of photographs in the 70s of women and the start of the feminist movement and how that really told the story of how women were changing, the truth of what it meant to be a woman. It's a fascinating watch if you have a moment. And what it again showed me is that art, photography, storytelling can be such a powerful medium for change. When we think about the many different varied changes in our culture, in our world over the decades, so often it has been the artists, the storytellers, the filmmakers, the writers that captured this change and pushed the momentum. If you haven't already, episode 220 with Pamela Tannerbowl is also about a documentary around mothers in the creative arts. And today I have what I feel is a really inspiring, exciting and empowering conversation with the photographer Rachel Larson Weaver. Rachel reached out to me and wanted to talk to me about how the photographs we see, the photographs we take and share, affects the way we see ourselves as mothers. She's really passionate about using photography to show the, I guess, the polarity of motherhood, that it can be both beautiful and messy, that our bodies experience motherhood differently. And that through these photos, we can tell a story of what it is really like to be a mother and a woman instead of these very perfectly curated images that our world sells to us around what motherhood should look like. This is a really beautiful conversation that really brings together both the personal and the political, which is my favorite thing to do. And when you finish listening, jump on to Instagram Follow Rachel and let her know how this conversation inspired you. Enjoy.
Rachel, good morning from Sydney. It's very, very early morning here. What time is it where you are? It's two in the afternoon, so a lot more civilised. A lot more civilised, yes. Yeah. I, was, I said good morning with my coffee when we first turned on our screens this morning. I'm really excited to talk to you in this conversation. I'm really interested in hearing your personal story of motherhood as a mama of five but also your professional experience and what you have seen in your art, in your photography, in your work around how we represent mothers in our society. So thank you again for being here. I'm Let's feeling start. really excited. Yeah, Thanks for having me. So first of all, you were a mother of five, ranging from the age of 17 down to, was it three? Yep. <laughs> yeah. So tell us about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, the uh, I was only 19 when I found out I was pregnant with my first. I had I had gone to college early or university, maybe if you were Australian. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I because I was homeschooled and I graduated early and uh it was a quite a shock when I found out that we were that I was pregnant with our first. And um you know, enter some complicated months Mm. to a year but once we were sort of in it and then my husband and I got married we had the second he was going to law school we were trying to figure out like how to be grown-ups and at that point we knew we wanted to have more kids but we were just sort of (laughs) like I said trying to figure out how to be grown-ups and how to afford anything and Mm. so I think it you know so the biggest gap is between the second and the third um and honestly, there's a part of me that would have a sixth, except for yeah. I'm getting to the point that because my oldest is now away at college, I'm like, they won't all even grow up in the same house. So maybe wow. you've got to call it eventually. Yes. <laughs> Might as well do it after five. I love that. I would, yeah. I've always said that if I was married to like a Murdoch or someone who had endless money, yeah. I would have had endless babies. It's like, yeah. There's no question about that. But we were talking before we hit record that – um, when you had your first child, you had a house right next door to your parents' house with all of your siblings. And so that experience of becoming a mother at only 19 and having just started college and having to try and be an adult, yeah. as you said, to have been able to do that right next door to your family, that must have made a huge difference because over the years I've spoken to so many women who became mothers very early on unplanned and it was a real sense of a fork in the road did it feel like that for you or and did the ability of having your family right next door change that I mean it was certainly uh, a shift a pretty dramatic uh, change Mm. from the course because I was actually I was getting my travel vaccines to move to Thailand with a teaching job and I was at uh, at the health center And before they would give me the Japanese encephalitis shot, they gave me a pregnancy test. So I really had no clue that I was pregnant when they came back into the room and said, when was your last period? And I was like, (laughs) oh, I know what that means. And I just started to cry. Like, so it was a definite like, oh, that is not, you know, it was. And I think in some ways I didn't even mourn the death of all of these different pieces of myself that never came to be it it took a long time before I even would like look that head on 
I tend to have a, a pretty cheerful, optimistic temperament. So I was just trying to figure out how to like go headlong into the mothering portion and mm. to be excited about it and to try to find fulfillment and, and find my own way in it. But it was interesting. Maybe it was actually right before the pandemic. And it was interesting because I was doing a photo shoot with a woman who had been living alone for many years and I had never lived alone. I went straight from my parents' house to college to having a kid and being married. And it was a really interesting time when I was making images with her that I was like, oh, this was a life that I could have had that I didn't. And like what what little tiny deaths occurred that that have separated us. Um, but I will say being next door to my parents and my sisters, you know, despite the things that like come up in that day to day that can be frustrating. It has, it, I think so many of us recognize that motherhood can be so isolating, but to have people who were in and out and especially people who have always loved my children as much as I do. Um, but it's interesting. I had four kids before any of my siblings had any, but between my fourth and my fifth, then like four grandbabies were born. So now wow. at like the young end of the age, there's a lot of grandkids in this small town. Mm. Um, but mm. but it's been huge. It has knowing that there was someone there to call when when the head bump happens and you're like, is this ambulance or what's mm. this rash? But really, I just think the day to day of, you know, we had dinner together for years. My mom's not much of a cook. I mostly did the cooking. And then <laughs> then I bought a house just a mile away. But it was funny. We lived in the house for four months before two of my sisters started renting the house next door to that house. <laughs> I was like, this, we're just destined to be neighbors forever. So. Oh, wow. I love that. And what an experience your children have then of having that family all yep. around. And, you know, we talk about this so much on the podcast. It's meant to be a village, for goodness sakes. We're meant to be able to just walk in and out of each other's home and send our kids next door if we've got an important meeting or whatever we need to do. So... Um, I love hearing examples of that, of what it looks like yeah. and the difference it could make. Make. You mentioned um, all the little tiny deaths, all the little experiences yeah. over the last 17 years. Um, so you personally, you were enrolled in college, you were getting ready to go to, was it Thailand? You were going to be a teacher. And so what has been the path of you finding yourself in amongst all of those five children and discovering this passion of telling stories through images of how we view, respect, see mothers? Um, interestingly, my history or my background was more in the writing side of telling stories and particularly in creative nonfiction. And that's what I did my undergraduate degree. And I started to get my MFA in creative writing um, what I found was that in the chaos of my life and all of the children being around, it was a lot harder for me to hear words, mm. but I still <sighs> wanted to tell the same sorts of stories. And so it was actually after the birth of my third son that I bought, well, my third child who happens to be a son. Um, mm. I wanted to start a blog because I wanted an outlet for writing because it had been years since I'd had a regular writing practice, but I thought at the time, well, you have to have pictures to go along with it. 
And so that's when I bought a camera and started to make images. And I realized that actually the camera allowed me to stop fighting so hard against my life. You know, that like what it looked like I could create, I could tap in to this need I had, but I could do it with my children at my side rather than feeling like I needed to carve out a space and take myself away so that I could do the thing that I wanted to. Mm, that's so true. As a writer, that is such, uh, I totally resonate with that. Um, and I remember when my kids were really little, it was, you, writing is such a solitary experience. Well, it is for me. It is yeah. such a solitary experience. And it's like I need a runway up to it. Mm-hmm. You know, like you can't just quit the kids asleep, drop, start writing. Like it's yeah. almost like you need to, it's like Elizabeth Gilbert says, we need to date our muse. I find with writing, you know, if it's going to be good writing, there needs to be this whole experience around it. So to be able to just see around you all the time and pick up a camera and capture those moments, that must be an amazing realisation that your creativity is there and I can do it within my life. Absolutely. And it made it so that I actually felt like it brought a certain presence to each scene and that into each moment I was and I was really like wanted to find the beauty in it and so when that is what you are training your gaze on you will find it um wow. and so it it really and then I also I mean the other part of it was I want to make these images and so sometimes when you're it it would call us to adventure relatively ordinary and mundane things but but in order to have my life create the the soil that I wanted for it I actually feel like I I built the thing even more and that they had a really beautiful um way of impacting each other Mm. you know I do I really do I yeah I love the way you say you're training your gaze to really see it and that is something that we don't do in our modern world very well. You know, we're in our heads. We're not really in our bodies. We're thinking about what we should have done yesterday. We're worried about what's coming tomorrow. Um, we often miss the beauty that's right in front of us, the, whether it's with our children, ourselves, nature. You know, we're, we're not here now. Yeah. And to train your gaze to see that, that's a really beautiful practice. It, because it feels like a certain sort of meditation, particularly with like the paying attention to the light. I know exactly how the light comes into each of my rooms in every season. And because that's how I make images, especially because I, um, I shoot entirely film at this point in my career. And film is a much more light hungry medium than even digital photography. So I really know where the light happens and how and I. I'm like a house plant. I really try to live kind of pointing towards that light, which means like you're in the light together. That's where we're making our life. And it's a beautiful spot to be. Yeah. As someone who's not a visual person, that's not my medium. Um, it sounds so nourishing to have that within your life every day. You, um, When you emailed me, you said something that I just loved. You said... I would like to talk about all of this and how we, as everyday image creators, we all have powerful cameras and platforms in the palm of our hands. 
can use photography as a tool to prove our own existence in a world that seeks to keep us marginalised. Now, I know I know, imagery is your medium right now, but yeah. oof, you've still got the writing <laughs> thing. Like that is an awesome sentence. I need to say it again. To prove our own existence in a world that seeks to keep us marginalised. Can you talk to me about what that means? Well, one of my problems with the representation of mothers in most media or in most art is that it is either this like very sentimentalized, not taken seriously sort of uh, concept of motherhood. And we're like, oh, well, that's cute, but that's not high art. Or then, then occasionally, and not that often, honestly, the pendulum swings to the other side and it's all of like the difficulties of motherhood, which I do think we need to be open and honest and talk about. But I think that there is this fertile middle ground that most of us exist in and and because uh because we have these ideas again about like the mother is saint and the mother is martyr and she just loves her children and it's all then then we start to feel insecure in our own mothering and in our own experience we feel alone and so all of us I mean like I said in the palm of our hands most of us have really powerful cameras and we have op- like the ability to share our lived experience in a way that shows that it's not an either or situation that mm-hmm. just because you do find some joy and some fulfillment in mothering doesn't mean that's the only thing you need. Doesn't mean that you don't exist as a creative or sexual or academic or intellectual, all of these other personas that exist outside of it and so how can we how can we harness that tool for sharing and for connecting how do we that how do we do that if we're listening and 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 we think yes I totally agree is it about for ourselves first because I think we need to do everything for ourselves first you know that's how we create a revolution is first we make the change for ourselves and Mm -hmm. we do it for each other and then we'll do it for all it's it's trying to be more present with the polarity of each of these moments. It's being completely aware and um, I guess almost celebrating, honouring the existence of both the absolute mess and the absolute beauty. Is that what you mean? I think that that's like a really important part of it. And I think one of the things that keeps us from being able to see kind of the the beautiful and the damned that's all in the same moment is that we feel like we're supposed to speak or exist in such generalities or polarities. For instance, I'll see lots of people say things like 2022 wasn't my year or whatever. And you're like, that was a whole year. That was 365 days that have been declared like in, and even in any given day, I don't, it's hard. I feel like to say one day is a good or a bad day. Like so so let's look at the complexity and so that as we share more of that which is which requires our presence and our coming into this moment and saying like how do I feel in it how am I experiencing this and it could be that there is loneliness or it could be that there's frustration or it could be that there's resentment but there also might be contentment or gratitude or excitement or hope and that that can change 
relatively abruptly for most mm. of us. And so to give ourselves the chance to explore that and to let ourselves be in that feeling so that we can make room for the next feeling, whatever it is going to be to come. It's really interesting because um, of the work that I do, I've got over the years a number of the professional photo shoots with me and my kids yeah. for, you know, when my book was launched and all of that. And just this week I was going through some of the old photos and they're beautiful. I mean, they're like I'd had, I did my own makeup, but, you know, the hair was done, yeah. the kids were in their prettiest dresses and little outfits and everything was all looking beautiful. And I was looking at them and they're an amazing memory. But one of the photo shoots I've had over the last 10 years was a friend of mine who was a professional photographer came and stayed with us for a few days and kind of just set up a camera in the back, of, you know, in the back corner of the yeah. room and just took photos of as we moved around the house. So everyone's in their jammies and some one of them's having a tantrum on the floor and all of that. And when I was looking at all these photos, Rachel, it was those ones that I kept being drawn back to. Because the staged ones, yes, they're beautiful, but there was no memory attached to it. It wasn't the truth. It wasn't the reality. And it really made me think of my responsibility in this space to make sure that it is more of the real life photos I share, I put on my website, I put out there. Because, you know, I do have a platform. Some of our listeners might not have as big or even bigger but there's such a sense of responsibility when I was looking at these photos that I have to continue to be really mindful of the version of my life I'm showing. And it doesn't mean that, because sometimes I think then what can happen is it's like, so here's real life. Here's the ugliest <laughs> things that are happening in my house and in my day. It, that doesn't feel like it's mm. what we're saying that it has to be, but like here is beautiful light on my child's beaming face and also the wet towel from her shower earlier is on the ground like that those two things exist together I think makes it it makes what it is I would also argue like more art and less an advertisement Mm -hmm. um do you know what Mm -hmm. I mean so often it feels like in those stage pictures we're like making advertisements of ourselves that's not the kind of pictures that when I'm studying artist photographers that are making it into the monoliths that I'm looking to. They're not making mm-hmm. it onto gallery walls. Like you want the thing that feels complicated and something that you have to kind of contend with. Um, mm-hmm. But it's interesting also that you said how your friend photographed you because that basically that exact same experience with a friend of mine is what led me to what I call long form sessions, which are when I come and I stay with people for 24, 36 hours so that I can make pictures with their families in that same way where you're like, let's not rush and tighten it into this space where it was also one of the things I realized when I went from just taking pictures of my family to being a retail photographer that I was like, oh, you can't do this in an hour. The things Mm. that I created in scene, people have to let their guards down and that's how you how you make it. But I love that you said that. I was like, okay, yeah, people, yeah, yeah, that's, there's a, there's that's value in that. There is. And as you said, there is nothing wrong with those beautiful family portraits where everyone puts on their beautiful dresses and sits down for that photo. We all need those. But I think also let's be really aware of what we're 
especially those who are in this space as a like as a coach, as a teacher, as a guide, as a doula, you know, we want to show all of these different versions of motherhood. It's part of the cultural shift we need to have around being this good mother, perfect image, loving every moment of it. You're also incredibly passionate about the um, body image that we share around motherhood, um, the way we tell the story of um, a woman's body's changing. And I love how you said before that she is a mother, but she's also an academic, a lover, a artist, you know, to show all of her rather than this one archetype and what this looks like in a physical form. I feel like, you know, I grew up feeling relatively disembodied. I, I had pretty healthy esteem for myself in lots of ways, but because I have always had a bigger body that fit outside of kind of the cultural norms, I just saw my body as like my brain bag and who, who cares about it? That's the least interesting part of me. And that's like an okay approach to have. But as I came to realizing like, no, that there is this really powerful mind body connection. I can't ignore this piece of myself. It is all intertwined. I want to be able to have a loving relationship with this thing. Also, I can be like a little bit of a hedonist and like all pleasure comes through our bodies. So Mm. like the more I connect to it, the more pleasure I get to reap from the world. And so it was very important to me to, to expand my definition of beauty so that first it could include myself. And then from there, I mean, it's just what you said. We start with self and then we move outward. And I think that if you haven't really like done a lot of work to come into a loving relationship with yourself and with your body, because bodies are what injustice is done against, it becomes a lot harder to be a a justice warrior of some sort for other bodies and to make, you know, people feel comfortable in theirs. It's a really powerful thing when you can start with feeling comfortable in yours and modeling it for them because we don't have a lot of examples. No matter how beautiful, how thin, how young looking, how many of the things that we feel like people fit in what we imagine this definition The definition is created so that we always feel unworthy. Mm -hmm. You know, I could get into the whole, this is what the patriarchy and this is what capitalism is begging us to do. Uh, You're in the right place. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, we laugh, but it is true. It is part of the culture that we live in where we're told that unless you look this way, sound this way, do this thing, then there's something wrong with you and come and buy the thing that we're selling to fix it. That's that's what we're being raised in. Interestingly, though, I think, uh, I mean, you have a 17-year-old, I have a 15 and 13-year-old. I think the next generation, that generation, are so much more further along the awakened path with this than I, I ever was at that age, let alone at 46. And I think it's this generation, and I'd love to hear your thoughts, that are going to challenge all of us to move faster. You know, you I said agree. justice warriors. I think they were born justice warriors, that generation, and they are demanding that we change quicker. Don't you think? Absolutely. I mean, of when I was growing up and I, would, I didn't see bodies like myself depicted in media, mm-hmm. in advertisements, and t- 
I just internalized it as like, well, no, I don't deserve to be on those things because I don't look like that. Like you could maybe, you know, starve yourself for long enough and then you deserve to look like that. Where I do think that uh, that Gen Z and the generations that they're like, no, you're this isn't about us. This is about you. It was always about you. I mean, I know that we give kids and social media and TikTok and all of those things that there's a lot of worry and I understand the the actual fears that can come around it but also I think it's like given voice and platform to a lot of difference and like primarily what I see on my 17 year olds feeds is super encouraging and wonderful if we can use any of these tools to make ourselves feel horrible about ourselves or we can we get to curate to some extent our media consumption and what you know I very rarely watch shows now that are made on like mainstream television and channels because I like kind of can't even look at them anymore where I'm like everything feels so plastic but I think it's beautiful that we have so many more options now that we can see people of different size and skin color and skin texture and you see old you know what I mean like you actually see skin um yes and real skin with stretch marks and yeah. cellulite and bumps and bruises and the reality. Yeah. I mean, when I and I think in a way, the teenagers are, as I said, I think they're moving faster. And once again, and again, we could talk about this for an hour, but I feel once again, motherhood is being missed in this cultural revolution. It was the same with the. Um, with feminism and the equal opportunities for women in the 70s, like we made such massive advances. But it was like motherhood sort of stayed over there of this thing that we're not going to to shake up too much because that's, that's you know, one of the beautiful teachers we talk about in Mummerizing a lot is that motherhood is what feminism forgot. And I feel yeah. like we really need to make sure, again, in this time, as we're moving rapidly forward in a lot of ways around showing the diversity of people and their experiences and and their identities we can't leave motherhood behind again we have to make sure that we revolutionize the way we see mothers as part of this as well all mothers all parents experience absolutely and and I can't figure out why it is we keep leaving it behind is it this like sentimental attachment Mm -hmm. that somehow if we if we confront the idea of it somehow it makes us like go back to this childhood place of feeling like unsafe that like oh will I still be held if we change this I can't figure it out I think it's also about this whole holy mother archetype like the mother is the ultimate saint she's as we said before she sacrifices herself mothers aren't sexual yeah mothers aren't these wild creative women who sometimes choose themselves over their kids mothers aren't um angry oh that's (laughs) that's one that always because I feel like actually as a person who uh anger is one of the things that I like experience I don't tend so much towards like anxiety or depression but if I'm gonna have to have like a emotional catharsis it's and I feel like it's very very taboo for women to experience Mm -hmm. that and if you are a mother and you're angry that is something you were supposed to just entirely work on like your kids should never Mm -hmm. see you angry 
you're like, what experience of this? Like, I'm trying to be Zen, I swear. <laughs> like, yes. and also, like, what about righteous rage? We um, need righteous rage yeah. in mothers. And again, we've had it in some areas of, of these amazing movements, but I think let's make sure that motherhood is um, revolutionized this time in a real and meaningful way. And we do that through the stories we tell, the images we share, the conversations we have with each other. Like, let's bring all of us to the table instead of just this image of what motherhood looks like. Yeah, and I think for so long that there was, you know, I was saying that I think social media and these kinds of platforms can aid us, but I know in other ways how it maybe set people back for a while, that there was this image of the Instagram mom and and the perfection that was put forward. But I do think that we get to control both what we consume and what we create. And, and it is a tiny revolution in how we, how, how we choose to, how we choose to share and consume. And that, you know, mm. look to those artists. It's, I mean, you've had other guests that have talked about it. It, it is horrifying to me sometimes when you're seeing the way that mothers are excluded from gallery shows, from, you know, anthologies, from being looked at for major prizes. And I think it, and I think, that there are two reasons one that it's really difficult for mothers to create because they don't even have the support to make those bodies of work but there are women mothers who are creating those bodies of work and they're just not taken seriously Mm, that's right I think that's a great point for us to finish on Rachel is that um, we also can be a part of this revolution whatever our job is whatever our role is no matter how much time we have by also making sure that what we consume is um, diverse, is um, showing us different experiences of motherhood. Like be really aware. It's like what we say to our teenagers, right? Be really aware of what you're scrolling through and how it makes you feel. And if you're scrolling through Instagram and everything makes you feel like shit, basically, um, or all of the images of motherhood are these beautiful curated ones, like we said, yeah. we love the curated ones at times, but let's make sure that we're seeing all of it and we're supporting, and that's a really important yeah. point, we're supporting yeah. each other in our different stories. Yeah, and that we don't, you know, and the support means that we hear them and we don't instantly put it up against our own to be like, well, that wasn't my experience. It doesn't make theirs less true. Let's we will make room for all of our experiences when we begin with like acknowledging them and supporting them and letting them have space and opportunity to tell them. Because I think that there's a lot of, of mothers, you know, I would say, especially with young children, but I think it continues for all sorts of reasons, you know, probably forever. I, I now know teens, but I don't know what, what it's like to have adults. I bet it, I bet it just keeps going. But you know, we feel, we feel lonely. We feel isolated in it. And to have opportunities to put it out there, people want to feel seen and heard. And I think that that can alleviate so much of the suffering of it. So let's like hear each other. I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you for bringing your story to us and for the phenomenal images and art that 
you're creating around the truth of what motherhood really looks like. I really, really appreciate your time. It's been a beautiful conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I think one of the most powerful things we can do for ourselves, each other, and our children is to continually question what we're putting out into the world, what we're telling ourselves, who we're comparing ourselves to. Because as I said during this interview, these next generations, they're watching, they're demanding better. And we need to acknowledge that we have been sold an image of what it is to be a perfect mother, a perfect woman. And in the palm of our hands, we have the power to say no to that, whether you have a platform or not, whether you like sharing photos of yourself or not. You can even just be aware of who you're following and how we celebrate and support each other. I know I can do better with this, and I promise I will. I know all of us are one moment at a time breaking down this patriarchal understanding of motherhood supporting each other in our stories it's really powerful please jump online follow rachel support her and all the other amazing artists storytellers researchers creators out there who are part of this movement and are ready to tell a different story of what it means to be a mother until next week satnam deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.